Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So before we get into the message, I want to tell you a quick story about my son Gideon. Uh, we were out at Nana and Papa's house, and we have this ninja course we set up. And it sounds way more impressive than it really is, but it's basically two ropes between trees, and there's things you can hang on and climb over. And as we set it up, my son doesn't like doing active things. So he's sitting there next to me reading a book, and the other kids are playing. And I look at him, and I say, Gideon, you should go play on the ninja course. And he's like, I don't want to. I can do it. It's easy anyways. I've done it before. And I'm like, oh, okay. Let's try a little bit of reverse psychology here, you know? So I said, but Gideon, I never saw you do it, so therefore, I don't think it's happened yet. And he looks at me and says, Dad, don't you know what your Bible says? I'm like, what? I'm like, what does the Bible say about ninja courses? And I'm trying to think about this. And then he looks at me and says, Dad, blessed are those who have not seen and yet they've believed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, okay. So I just said, good one, son, I will take that. You can sit down and read your book. So let's get into the message. I love it that we're in this series of Acts. And I love what we call the Acts of the Holy Spirit and how he worked in the book and stuff. And today we're going to go through Acts 5. And to briefly recap from Pastor Chris's message last week, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, I would highly encourage you to do so. But he had four main points. We talked about the promises of God, the pathway forced by Jesus, the process of transformation, and lastly, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I loved how he brought these things together and how he ended. And I think we're going to kind of pick up right where he left off. But as he finished up and I started looking at Acts 5, I realized I had a problem. Because the first bit of Acts 5 is about Ananias and Sapphira, and the last part about the Acts of the Apostles. And I realized there is two very different messages in here. And as I prayed about it and I thought to myself, yeah, I'll preach half and let Pastor Lauren do the next half, the Holy Spirit kind of grabbed my heart and showed me something that's actually in common between the two halves. Something that Ananias and Sapphira didn't have, but yet the apostles really worked in. So I'm going to talk about that today, but I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But as we looked up with Acts up to this point, with Acts 1 through 4, this is an unprecedented time for the Holy Spirit to move in the church. And if you read just uh, up to verse chapter 4, you would think, man, everything is perfect. This is amazing. This is a church coming together. There's a body of Christ coming together. They are walking in unison. And this incredible generosity that goes on. So before we get into chapter 5, we just have to back up a little bit into chapter 4 and just give you a little bit of context of something that happened there. And this is to do with Barnabas. Because Barnabas here gave a gift to the apostles. And this gift was big enough, was so amazing, that they recorded this gift in our Bibles for the rest of eternity. So it was a pretty big thing. So let's quickly read about that, and we'll start in Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. Can you imagine that? Coming here for a prayer summit, us praying here just right now, and all of a sudden start shaking because of the Holy Spirit? Like, this is crazy. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And now, full, now the full number of those who believed were in one heart and soul. And no one said that any of them things would belong to him was his own. And they had everything in common. And with a great power of the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
there was not a needy person among them. For many of the owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And later the apostles' feed and was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was called the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native from Cyprus, sold a field belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, the stage is set. There is a powerful, powerful movement of the Holy Spirit here. We see that there was no need between any of them, but they were unified. And again, Barnabas comes up and he does almost the unthinkable here and he sells what he has and lays at the apostles' feet and he gives everything that he has. So with that context, now we're gonna go into Acts 5. And we don't know exactly, I can't speak to Moro for anything, but I wonder now if Ananias and Sapphira, who saw this, acted upon it. So let's read here, and today we're going to read a lot of scripture. So let's get started. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a piece of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart and lied to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you you've not lied to man, but to God? When Ananias uh, heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened, and Peter said to her, tell me, will you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they are carrying you out. Immediately she fell down and breathed her last. When the young men came and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church, upon all those who heard it. That's intense, right? This is not just, this is a very sobering story for us. And by the way, the end of verse 11 there, uh, when you see the word church, that's the first time we see the word church in Acts. Um, but besides that, the question we can ask out of this is, what's so wrong with keeping a little bit of money for yourself? I'm just thinking here, if Jordan comes up and he sells everything he has and he gives 50% to the church, will we not make a video of that? Will we not cheer and say, man, that's amazing, thank you for being so generous, or maybe even 70%. So what's the difference here and what happened? Well, we get a clue for this in verse four when Peter uh, showed them there that they had the power to decide what to do with the money, but they were deceitful. So where did Ananias and Sapphira go wrong? What is it that they did? And I think there's many things, but we're going to look at three things just for the sake of time. But the first thing they did, obviously, is they lied. And again, some of us might go, is that really that big of a deal? Because I don't know about you guys, but I've said one or two lies in my life, right? And I bet many of you here, too, have done the same thing. But I'm still standing here breathing. So what's the difference? Let's look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. And, and seven that are abomination to him. Haunty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceive wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness that breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among their brothers. Unfortunately, if we look at that verse and we see everything Ananias and Sapphira did, 
they're checking off quite a few boxes besides lying. And some of the things we can see here too, they devised a wicked plan. And that's a thing too, they, uh, uh, we see here too, this is stuff the Lord says is an abomination to me. So the few things they checked off of there, and in Acts so far, I just want to remind you of this, we have seen a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit. This is not just normal times, this is a time of unprecedented time where the Spirit of the Lord was heavy there. And whenever we look at Scripture, where there's pieces of Scripture or stories we hear where the Holy Spirit was present or God was present, we always see side effects of it. And what I mean by that is this. Moses. Moses saw the burning bush. What's the first thing God told him? Take off your sandals. The place you stand is holy ground. And we see this too in the resurrected the temple and they have a holy of holies in there. They can only go into the holy of holies at certain times of the year. And when they did that, what did they do? They tied a rope around the guy's waist for the priest because as he goes in there, if he had sin in his heart, he would die. And then they had to drag the guy out. So we see this all over scripture, but there are many places where there's a big emphasis, where there's the presence of God is so strong. Because here's the thing, sin and God cannot coexist together. These two things do not stand together at all. So it's not just simply saying that, oh, it's lying, it's not that big of a sin. It's not our job to say which sins are small and which ones are big. It is all sin before an almighty, holy God. And that is something I think we have to understand in reading these things too, because in God's eyes, this is all sin. So, any, so anyway, that's the other thing too. They did not have a reverent fear of the Lord. It was just playtime for them, it's just normal. So they're missing that component there of a fear of the Lord and what his presence actually means and all the things going on around them because they've probably witnessed them praying and the building shaking. So that is something too, they did not have that reverent fear of the Lord. That's the second one. But the third thing is, we have to go back to verse two. And verse two says, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the word kept back there is a Greek word, and I'm gonna do my best to pronounce it, nosfiso, and this word is only found four times in all of scripture. It's a very uncommon word. Twice, it's in Acts five. It's actually in verse two and three. So there's only two other places in scripture where we see it. The first time we see this word, nosfiso, oh, by the way, it means to keep back, to take some with dishonest gain. So the first time we see this word is in Joshua 7, and this is the story of Achan. And it says this in verse one, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully regarding the things designated for destruction for Achan. From the tribe of Judah took some, and that's that same Greek word again, from the designated things, and therefore the anger of God burned against all of Israel. Now if you read uh, the part there of Joshua, Chapters one through six, they have nothing but victory. Victory, 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 victory. Chapter seven, we see Achan come in, he takes some of the things, Nosfiso, he takes it to himself, and all of a sudden the Israelites could not defeat their next enemy. They actually lost a lot of Israelites during that next battle. And it's only when they found out what happened, and they can reveal the sin of what happened there, and deal with it, which by the way for him too was death, Afterwards, if you read chapter eight and nine and so forth, get this, victory after victory after victory after victory. So I don't think Luke used this word 
uh, by coincidence, or just, oh, that's a fancy word, I'll plug it in. I think he was referring here to Joshua 7 to show the severity of this. And now if we look at Acts, and I tried putting this in PowerPoint for you guys to see there a little bit, but you'll see this with, uh, there's a similarity to Acts. Chapters 1 through 4, we see God is with them. And you can see kind of there too, but then chapter 5, we see Nosfiso with um, Ananias and Sapphira, and then again, verse 12 and up, we see that God is moving powerfully again. So this is something we see here too, that sin prohibits us to get closer to Jesus. Sin is the thing that keeps away from it, but you know the cool thing is, church? We have tools to deal with this. It's as simple as confession, and this is something that we can do. But anyway, so with this, the first thing I want to bring up to with this Nosfiso thing is, it's greed. Greed is the last final step here where we can see that they did. So where did Nas and Sapphira go wrong? In a nutshell, they lied, they did not have a reverent fear of the Lord, and lastly, they were greedy to the point where they take something that was designated to the Lord. So we're going to continue on here. Oh, and the last place for Nosfiso, if you want to know where it is, it's in Titus 2. And basically, Titus just says, don't do it. That's the only reference he makes to it because you can see the severity of it. But we're going to continue on here. And I actually want to go back to uh, verses 7 and 9 because I want to talk to you about a theme that I see here for Nas and Sapphira. And this is it. I'll just quickly read this part again for you. It says, After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in. Not knowing what happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me where you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out. So why am I emphasizing this again about her dying again? It's right there in verse 8. Because verse 8 says this, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much, and she said yes for so much. And let me tell you why this is an amazing verse. Back then, women did not have any rights. Women could not go testify in court and give an account because people didn't think they can be trustworthy enough, okay? But Peter, right after Ananias did this evil deed, he looked at Sapphira and did not condemn her for what her husband did. He did not say, now because your husband did this, you will die as well. What did he say? He gave her another chance. Did you sell it for so much? So he gave her the option between life and death. She did not know it was death. She had no idea the judgment was close. But we see the grace of God already here where Peter said, and I wonder if he had compassion in his eyes, please pick life. Confess what you have done here. And of course she did not, and this should be a sobering story for us. But again, Romans 3.23, for we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, right? All of us fall short to this. And you know what? Here's the thing with Sapphira. Ananias, but mostly with her, she did not take responsibility when it was in front of her. And this is the theme I want to bring out here, but I saw with Ananias and Sapphira, is they did not take responsibility for what was laid in front of them, and even when confronted about it, she, uh, she did not go with it. And I want to continue on with this, and I know responsibility is one of those words that everybody here goes, yes! I love responsibility. I love doing it because it's easy and it's so natural to me and there's no consequences. I am amazing at it at home. Well, if you are, please come speak to me and tell me what you do because I suck at it, okay? And I think most of us actually would have some trouble with this because responsibility is hard work. 
And I used to think to myself back in the day when me and Andreas, we taught a marriage seminar here, I would always make fun of millennials because they're easy to make fun of. And especially on this part of not taking responsibility, right, the younger generations. So I'm there one day, and I'm making fun of this again, and Mr. Wayne Falk approached me right there in the seminar and says, you do know you're a millennial, right? I'm like, what? No, I'm not. And I was a little bit hurt. I and mean, then afterwards, I Googled, and yeah, I'm a millennial, which kind of sucks. But anyway, I looked at him, and I'm like, OK, I guess I need to take responsibility in this. But the thing is, why bring this up? Responsibility is not a result of a fall of man. It's not a result of God punishing us. Let me show you in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.28 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on it. God gave us responsibility before the fall of man. Responsibility is from the beginning something that is part of God and he says, go do this. Go fill the earth, take care of the animals. But then, what happens? A couple of verses later, I mean, chapters later in, in Genesis 3, and God said, who told you you were naked? You have eaten from a tree which I command you not to eat. And the man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of a tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So is that an example of taking responsibility? No, not even a little bit, right? The second they did something wrong and they ate the fruit and God comes to Adam and says, what did you do? And Adam points the finger immediately at Eve and says, Lord, this wife you gave me, she's the one who did it. It was great before she came along with me, you and the animals, and life was hunky-dory, but now she came in and now I'm in trouble. And when God approached Eve, what did you do? And Eve points immediately to the devil and says, Lord, the devil made me do it. None of them took responsibility. So if this is not a millennial issue, this is not a Gen Z issue, this is a human issue from the beginning. Right after the fall of man, one of the first places where we suck in is responsibility. And we don't take responsibility for ourselves anymore. And this is why I want to bring this up to you guys and talk about it a little bit today, because Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. Can you imagine if, if Peter said, what did you, why did you do this? Did you take this money? And she said, yes. She would have suffered some humi uh, humiliation, maybe a little bit, and being humbled in it, but I wonder what would have happened next. But anyway, I'm going to go on to 2 Corinthians 5. And again, it comes down to what is responsibility really like, and what is it, uh, how do we act it out? And 2 Corinthians gives a little bit of a clue, and it says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So in short, there are, again, three things we can look at when it comes to responsibility, and three things we can sum this up, and I won't spend too much time on it. This will be another message at some point. But number one, I am responsible for my own feelings, actions, choices, okay? I am responsible, nobody else. My wife is not responsible for me, and I am not responsible for her. I am responsible for all my emotional buttons that get pressed. And let me tell you, for those of you who have parents, especially those of you who have teenagers, they know where those buttons are, right? They come up to you and they're like, ooh, button, and they press it, button, 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 and they don't stop, right? But then we go, 
whose responsibility is it if we would yell at them or we act out? Is it my kid's fault or is it my fault? It's mine. Again, 2 Corinthians, I will stand for the judgment seat of Christ. I am responsible for my actions and feelings. And again, that's a thing too. All these emotional buttons we have, it's easy to point the finger. Oh, it's sugar's fault. Oh, it's this environment we live in, it's culture's fault. And it's, yeah, they play a part in it, but guess what? I am ultimately responsible because it's my job as a Christian who is a new creation in Christ to take these things, take it to the cross, leave it with Jesus, and act and walk in the Holy Spirit. So, second thing, I cannot blame anyone or anything. And again, this comes back to 2 Corinthians, because in the judgment seat, it's not going to be me and Andrea standing in front of the judgment seat. It's not going to be the two of us pointing fingers to each other. It's not. Or anybody else would accuse me, right? It's me alone. So therefore, I cannot blame anyone or anything anymore if I take responsibility in me. And number three there, I am responsible for my own healing. And this is a big one, too, where a lot of people say, but you don't understand. They hurt me so badly, and if only they can fess up and say sorry, all will be better. I don't think so. Because once they do that, you're going to want something else on top of that. That's how it always goes, right? Because here's the thing, too. Your healing is dependent on one, well, two big things. Number one, Jesus, who's in your heart, and you acting upon it. It is upon you to get your healing. And how do we do that? Again. I know this is super complicated, but you bring it to Jesus. And if you don't know how to get healing in this, talk to one of us here on staff. Talk to a good friend and say, man, so-and-so really hurt me, or I have this thing in my life I don't know how to deal with, and pray with one another. But in the end of the day, too, our healing is not dependent on anybody else, and I think that's grace. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you don't need anybody else to be healed. All you need is me. But again, are we going to take the responsibility and go to God for our healing or not? So responsibility is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And especially if we understand that the responsibility comes from God from the beginning. This is not, again, a result of a fall or God trying to be mean to us. This is actually a wonderful thing. And again, too, for you parents out there, how amazing is it? And I know this is very rare, but when a kid does something wrong and you look at them and say, what did you do? and they actually take responsibility. Have any of you guys witnessed that before? No? Okay, couple, okay, good, that's good. Isn't that amazing? And then you think to yourself, man, I don't even want to give you any consequences because they're taking a hold and taking responsibility for what they've done. But anyway, we've got to continue on here, otherwise we're going to run out of time. Verse 12 in Acts 5. Because I, want to say, I want to show you guys again how the apostles uh, took on their responsibility. Now, many signs and wonders were really done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were among, uh, together in Solomon's portico. Uh, none of the rest of them dared join them, but the people there held in high esteem, and more believers were added to the Lord, uh, multitudes of both men and women. So they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and as Peter came, um, at least a shadow might fall upon them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, amazing, right? Powerful movement of the Holy Spirit after that Nosfiso sin was dealt with. Now we can see again the Holy Spirit as he moves powerfully through them, and it doesn't stop, but even Peter's shadow would fall upon them. But in verse 13 and 14, there seems to be a bit of a contradiction here, and I just want to quickly bring this to light. And those verses say, none of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. So how, if nobody more dare join them, they increased the number? Kind of seems contradictory, right? And I just want to give you again, what does this mean? It's not a contradiction, but remember, Ananias and Sapphira just happened, which again puts fear in people's uh, hearts to know that church is not something we play around with. This is not something we simply add to our lives. This is, no, this is a big commitment because two people just died because of a lack of integrity before the Lord. So they took it very, very seriously and hold it in high esteem. So if you can't imagine with me just for a second here, hypothetical, so let's say one day here, and I pray this will happen here, that we will have prayer times where the building gets shaken, right? Where none of us here have a need, where we're giving to the poor, and we're in one spirit. We have that unity to walk in here, right? So let's imagine that's happening here. And now let's imagine somebody comes to see Pastor Stefan, and they meet in his office, and Pastor Stefan says, oh, I think you have a sin in your life. And they say, no, I don't, and they die. That will make headlines, right? And people will hear about it, and people will second guess if this is a place I want to be involved in. Not because this person died, but because of the presence of the Holy Spirit here, because there's a great movement of the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, God and sin doesn't exist together. But with that also comes a great harvest that we see here too. And again, the church there didn't shrink in size, but actually it continued growing and growing and growing. But anyways, we're going to go on to verse 17. Verse 17 says this, but the high priest rose up and all were with him and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Again, wow. I mean, Pastor Stefan talks to us here and tells us kind of what to do, and we pray, and we, uh, you know, we hear God say something, and we be obedient, we take responsibility for it. But can you imagine an angel, after you get arrested, comes to you, opens the doors, lets you out, and then tells you, go preach. That is a big command, and I'm curious, how does the apostles respond to this? Will they take responsibility and do this? So let's continue reading. Now then the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the sin the people of Israel and sent to the prison they have brought. But when the officers came and they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked, all the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when a certain, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone uh, came and told them, look, the men you put in prison is standing in the temple and they're preaching to the people. Good job, apostles. They listened, right? So the very next thing they do, they're in by the temple and they are preaching to the people. They listen to what the word of God told them to do. So I'm guessing because they listened, all is well now, right? This is kind of close off. They did what God says, God rescued them from it, and now all things will be good from here on. Let's see. 26. And the captain of the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid to being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you are here filling Jerusalem with your teaching. Yeah, I can just imagine Peter staying there like, Are we filling Jerusalem with our teaching? Yes, we've done it. 
and then you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I love that line. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so the Holy Spirit who, gave, who God has given to us to, uh, who obey him. What a statement. What a scene. And I remember as Pastor Chris talked last week, this is probably the same group of people who put Jesus to death. These are the same people that probably that Peter ran away from. But now we can see Peter here standing in boldness, full of the Holy Spirit, making the statement, we must obey God rather than men. And I think, man, I would love to see this one day. I hope God allows us to look back, and I would love to see these apostles there standing in boldness in front of these people. But let's continue and see how they responded in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care that you are about to do to these men. For before the days of Phaedus rose up, claiming to be someone, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all those who followed him dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of his census and drew some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep, keep away from these men and let, leave them alone. For if this plan is of undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. I love this Pharisee. And every time I read this, I'm like, man, what wisdom, right? And I love a warning that he gives him there too. If you oppose these men, you might be opposing God. So let's leave him alone if we're not sure. And as we're getting a chance to study and to act, and I can look at these, um, some of the commentaries I read suggested, and again, this is not proof, so don't take it as gospel proof, but some commentaries suggested that Galamaliel is actually the son of Simeon. And if you remember, Simeon was the one who said, can I just see the Messiah before I die? And again, even though this is not confirmed, I can just think to myself, I won't put it past God if God planted him right there for a time such as this to help him there. So, uh, as we go on here, uh, uh, but we do know that he did have a hand in training Paul and Barnabas. But verse 40, let's see what happens. And when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then let them go. So here again, we see the apostles coming out. And the beaten here, we read the word beaten, and we're like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. They held their hands out, got beaten, let them go, right? Well, probably not. Um, again, a lot of suggestions show this when they got beaten, and the word they used here was the 40 uh, lashes minus one. And they did the 40 minus one because they thought 40 lashes will probably kill somebody. So they didn't want to do that, so they gave them 39 lashes. And the way they would do this, I did a bit of research into this, they would strike them twice on the back, turn them around, and then strike them on their chest. Turn them around twice on the back, turn them around once on the chest. And they would do this 13 times, which equals 39 beatings. So that's the beatings that these apostles probably got as they were told here not to go preach anymore. So 
Let's see how the apostles responded. Verse 41. When they left the presence of the council, rejoicing, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. What a contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and these guys. Again, Ananias and Sapphira, if they could take responsibility and own up, you know what? We were dishonest. We lied. We tried playing around and test the Lord. We're sorry. That simple confession. But we can see the apostles here, they went through a lot more than that. They were accused. They were beaten. They were dragged in front of uh, the Sanhedrin again. But how did they respond? Did they point the finger and say, you guys are against God and you guys are against us? No. All they did is they said, we will not stop. Because this is the charge of the end. This is the responsibility given to us. And we can see here they took that responsibility and they did the opposite. They even rejoiced. So this is what it is to take responsibility. And I love the two examples that we can see here in Scripture. But I want to kind of tie this up with for you guys. And um, because the, the question is, how do we go about this? How do we take responsibility? And a lot of times I know we wrestle with this a little bit, right? And there's a period in my life a while ago, and I still wrestle with lots of stuff myself, but I'm like, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Kind of like, where's the next area you want me to take responsibility in? And I was wrestling with this a couple of years ago and what to do with it. And um, as I asked for the Lord, I was like, Lord, can you please show me a word, photo, picture? But nothing really came to mind. But one day I'm sitting in the kitchen and um, it was us eating supper as a family. And Isabel was getting of age where she was walking and talking. And me and Andrea said, it's probably about time where she can clean up her own plate and take it to the sink. And uh, that supper time, I looked at her and I leaned over and I said, Izzy, can you please take your sink, uh, can, sorry, take your sink. Can you please take your plate to the sink? And she looked at me and she goes, yes, daddy. And she took her plate and she started running. And running, and running, and running. And I'm like, I know she's small, but the kitchen sink is not that far away, you know? And as I turned around, she was already completely out of my view. And then in her bathroom sink, all I hear is a plate going into the sink. And then she came running back, and she looked at me with these big eyes, and I can see the pride in her little heart. And she said, it's in the sink, Daddy. And I looked at her, and I'll be honest with you guys, okay? My love for my children is not perfect, okay? I lose my cool. Um, there's many things I do wrong with my kids. But in that moment, do you guys think I was upset or angry at her for putting the plate in the wrong sink? Anybody? No. I was not upset at her at all. In fact, I smiled at her and I said, okay, let me show you. So I walked back over to the sink. We grabbed a plate out of the bathroom sink. We walked to the kitchen. And as we walked up to the kitchen, I realized her head was a couple of inches below the, um, what do you call it, the counter. So she probably doesn't even know there is a sink. So then I took her and I lifted her up and she looks, I'm like, here's the sink. And she's like, oh, there's two sinks. And I'm like, yeah, there's two sinks. So she threw a plate in and I high-fived her and that's what happened. But you know, later that week, as I was wrestling, Lord, where do I take responsibility in this situation? Where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? God reminded me of a story. He says, so when Isabel threw that plate in the kitchen, um, the bathroom sink, were you upset at her? I'm like, no. Were you disappointed in her? 
No. Did she obey you to the best of her ability? Yeah, she did great. And then God said, so why are you not acting? Why are you standing still and just sitting there with your plate? Why don't you simply take your plate and put it in the best sink you know possible it's supposed to belong in? And if it is wrong, I will direct you. And I will tell you which place to put your plate in. And that got my heart. And you know what? It was a lot easier than to take responsibility. Because sometimes we feel like when we take responsibility, we feel like, man, is, am I right? Am I wrong here? What's going to happen next? And we almost have that fear then of moving forward. But let me tell you this. If we do nothing, we're not taking responsibility. It takes boldness to stand up and say, Lord, I'm going to start walking with my plate. And even if I put it in the wrong sink, I know you will direct me and you will change me. And let me tell you, church, if we humble our hearts, if we come to him and we confess, he is gentle. And he will show us that next way and the next thing we need to do. And there's one more thing I want to share with you, too. There's another lady uh, named Sharon Stevens. Um, I believe they're going to make a movie, actually, about this, too. But uh, there was a dad who lost uh, his wife, and he had some kids, and the daughter was very, very, very sick. And the Sharon lady saw this in the newspaper, and she thought to herself, I'm going to help. I'm going to do my best to help them. And she did. She went out, and she gave sacrificially of her time and money. But as she was doing this, her friends started thinking, man, this is a little bit excessive. So one of her friends came to her and said, why are you doing this? How has this become your responsibility to save this kid? She doesn't belong to you. And Sharon looked at her and said, but I'm here, and that is enough. And church, we are here. We are present. And many of us can do something about it. So this morning, to kind of close off, I wanted to give God the last word. I don't want it to be my word here, which you hear next to know what to do next. But we're going to do some listening prayer here, and we're going to say, Jesus, what is next for my life? And if there's three things that will come up there that we can look at, the first one is, is there something you need to confess right now and lay before Jesus? Is there something like, man, I, I'm hiding this from people? I want to encourage you. You have an opportunity right here, and it's very simple. If you've never done confession before, Jesus, I am sorry for lying. Jesus, I am sorry for doing whatever it is, and lay it before him. And I want to encourage you too. Scripture talks about confess to one another as brothers and sisters. The next one there too, is for any area of my life I need to fully surrender and take more responsibility in. Because sometimes too, I will surrender a bit, but will hold on to this other piece inside. And that's when Nazan Safari, they, they held on to a piece. But we can see the apostles, what do they do? They gave everything. They served fully. Does it come at a cost? Absolutely. And just like camp, was it comfortable for me? No, but I'll do it again. I don't regret doing it at all. So in this too, Lord, is there an area you want me to take more responsibility in? And then the last one here, is there an area of my life where God wants to show you a different sink to put your plate in? Is there something he wants to make a change in your life? And again, it's just something we ask for the Lord. And maybe you won't have time for all three. Maybe it's just, I need to confess something before the Lord. So I'm gonna encourage you to do that. And I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll do some listening here. So Jesus, thank you so much for giving us responsibility. Thank you so much, Lord. It's not a curse. It's not something that's bad. But Lord, we can come before you just as we are. And Lord, I want to ask now, can you bring to mind, is there any area that we need to confess sin? 
maybe, Lord, there's family members, Lord, that we don't get along with, but we hold a grudge against. If there's something I need to go take responsibility for, oh, Lord, maybe it's about kids and how we treat them. So ask Holy Spirit, reveal this to us and show us how we can respond. Jesus, oh, I thank you. We can come to you just as we are. I love it, Lord. You say you remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. I thank you, Jesus. You cleanse us by your blood. So I pray now, Lord, for every single person here, Lord, that they would continue to walk in this freedom. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show everybody here where that next area of our life is, Lord, when you take fuller responsibility. And I thank you again, Lord, for this gift you've given us, Lord. I pray now for everybody here as we go forward, Jesus, and anything we do here, we do for your glory and for your honor and for your name's sake. We pray this in your name. Amen. If any of you want some more prayer, uh, the prayer room is now open and there's some people can pray with you. Uh, you can also email us at prayerofmyselfund.com. If you have any needs, you can just email us at careofmyselfund.com. Anyways, that's it for our service. I hope you guys have a good weekend. Enjoy the nice weather outside, and we'll see you again next week.